Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Dan 1132. I'm Jim Wittivine, and this is episode 21, an introduction to technocracy. And in this episode, we're going to go into some depth introducing the subject of technocracy. And talk technocracy, if you've been watching or listening regularly to this podcast, you know that I've mentioned many times, and it's a, a constantly repeating theme, the theme of technocracy as an ideology that is growing in influence, an ideology that is having uh, a great influence on our society and which is working to shape our society and reform our society and reset our society. So we've spoken about technocracy in the context of the Great Reset. We've spoken about it in the context of historical context of H.G. Wells' books, The New World Order, and The Open Conspiracy, when I gave a definition of technocracy. Also, in relation, it, it, it relates to the teachings of the eugenicists of the early 20th century and their descendants and those who are advocating for population control and the environmental movement and a number of other issues all touch on and have to do with the ideology of technocracy. So I thought it would be good to spend several episodes or maybe a number of episodes talking specifically about technocracy and what is technocracy? What is the history of technocracy? Uh, where did it go in the past? Who are the, the, uh, the thinkers behind it? What are their ideologies? And how was that put together to influence the, uh, the elites of society in the 20th and up until the present day, 20th century and up until the present day. And I'm going to do that working with the fantastic work of Patrick Wood. Now, Patrick Wood, and specifically his book, Technocracy Rising, The Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. Uh, he also has another book about technocracy called The Hard Road to New World to a World Order, I believe it's called. Uh, but this book is the one I'm going to be working with in this series specifically. And normally what I've been doing in these podcasts is working a lot with original sources and primary sources. But in this, in this issue, on this issue about technocracy, I think that we have available to us two of the greatest resources that, uh, that you could ever hope to have about technocracy, both from the pen of Patrick Wood, who's done years and years worth of research on technocracy, on the history of technocracy, on the philosophy of technocracy, and also on the present day use of technocracy and the, the widespread uh, adherence to the technoc technocratic doctrine or ideology among the global elites, among the, amongst particularly uh, the globalists and, and the, the powers that are shaping world society today. So I highly recommend the books of Patrick Wood. And if, if you can check out his website, uh, his website is technocracy.info. And I regularly get email updates from the website. If you subscribe, he'll uh, send you the regular update. And on a daily basis, he goes through the news and he, he basically curates a selection of stories every day that have to do with technocracy and the influence of technocracy and where technocracy is uh, moving in and uh, having this influence in our world today. 
So highly recommended technocracy.info and Patrick Wood as an author who you should be checking out because uh, he has done such great work. It's impeccably researched and he backs up what he writes. Uh, It's not baseless. It's not without foundation. Uh, He goes to the sources and he basically he's he connects the dots he puts the 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 information together and sees the big picture so i'm going to be working on the basis of his book technocracy rising and i'm going to start actually first of all i'm going to start by returning to the definition of technocracy to refresh your memories about what is technocracy and according to this definition technocracy is a government or social system controlled by technicians, especially scientists and technical experts. And the second definition is government by technical specialists. So those are the the two technical definitions that we'll be working with, but we'll also be working more specifically with the definition of technocracy as it goes back in history to the movement of technocracy in the early 20th century. But that movement itself had its roots in the 19th century and will, or in, and even earlier, and we'll also go into some of those roots. But first of all, Patrick Wood, in the introduction to his book, he says, he says uh, to people who may have never heard of technocracy, he says, well, you probably have actually heard of technocracy under different names. The tentacles of technocracy include programs such as, and that we're going to come across a lot of very familiar expressions and phrases here, such as sustainable development, the green economy, global warming and climate change, cap and trade, Agenda 21, common core state educational standards in the United States, conservation easements, public-private partnerships, smart growth, land use, energy smart grid, de-urbanization and depopulation. In America, the power grab of technocracy is seen in the castrating of the legislative branch by the executive branch. So in the American government, the executive branch, the branch of the president, has has gained in power while the legislative branch has been losing power, replacing laws and lawmakers with reflexive law and regulators, and establishing regional councils of government in every state to usurp sovereignty from cities, counties, and states. So technocracy, as Patrick Wood says, is everywhere. He speaks of it as having tentacles that reach into all of these various areas. And when we hear the buzzwords like sustainable development, uh, public-private partnership, and these other buzzwords and phrases that we hear uh, in relation to very many different topics, we can that will ring a bell once you understand what technocracy is all about. And so he, he continues and says, understanding technocracy will help you to understand and connect seemingly unrelated topics like the United Nations Agenda 21 and sustainable development, land and water grabs by federal agencies, ICLEI, now that's a, an organization, an international organization that connects cities and municipalities, and there are a number of cities and municipalities in Canada as well as in the United States and elsewhere in the world that are members of this organization, which is uh, is focused on uh, sustainable development, environmental issues, and uh, issues of smart growth uh, and public-private partnerships, he continues. 
uh, communitarianism, the third way, and communitarian law, global warming and climate change, smart grid, carbon credits, cap, and trade. Now, especially the issues of carbon credits and cap and trade, we can see very clearly the links with the original technocracy incorporated the organization of the early 20th century, as we'll see a little bit more about in this episode. And Wood says, indeed, all of these modern phenomena have their roots firmly planted in the doctrines of early technocracy as far back as the 1930s and beyond. So the roots are there, and we see the fruits today. Now, he says, Patrick Wood writes from a Christian perspective, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about his work. He writes from a very obvious, very clear Christian perspective. And he speaks about the importance of technocracy and understanding technocracy in terms of our faith. This is more than just a political movement, something that we can choose to ignore and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it anyway, or use those uh, other very familiar words. God's in control, so we don't have to worry about these things or be concerned about these things. Well, no. He says, here is the crux of the matter. There is a devil in the details of technocracy. We must be very careful in our examination of technocracy to see this undercurrent of religious substitution because it proves to be the basis for global deception greater than anything the world has seen to date. Technocracy, he continues, will be shown to be thoroughly anti-Christian and completely intolerant of biblical thought. This has always been the hallmark sign seen in idolatrous religions and practices. As stark as the contrast might be upon careful examination, we will see also we will also see how threads of technocracy, scientism, and transhumanism are interweaving themselves into the modern Christian church. Many modern Bible-believing Christians are quite disturbed and perplexed by this intrusion into historic Christianity. For technocrats who see technocracy as salvation for both political and economic structures, then certainly it can be salvation for your soul as well. This is very dangerous thinking and is leading many Christians and churches into a state of active apostasy, a falling away from traditional biblical doctrines, teachings, and practices. And we can see this in large evangelical organizations as they begin to embrace aspects of technocracy and support it in their rhetoric and in their publications. I recently received a brochure that was produced in Brazil from one of my Brazilian colleagues, which is a publication made by a large Brazilian evangelical organization entitled The Church and Agenda 21, in which the doctrines of Christianity are mixed together or or common ground. They attempt to find common ground between the technocratic agenda of Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, Sustainable Development, the United Nations, and Christianity. And this is happening in... A lot of places is happening in North America, as well as in Brazil, as well as in Europe and elsewhere, as the evangelical church, or a wing of the evangelical church, attempts to uh, take over or, or adapt itself to this agenda. But the agenda in itself is inherently within itself anti-Christian. It's an, it's, it's really a replacement religion. It's a rival for the religious affections of people. 
And so that there we see the importance of, in, in, in faith terms, in religious terms, as well as in economic and political terms, because everything goes together, the importance of technocracy and knowing about it and knowing about its history and recognizing it when you see it. Because once we recognize it, once, once we recognize the buzzwords, the phrases, the, the, the slogans, once we recognize the, the philosophy that underlies these developments, we'll see how so much of what is happening has to do with the basis of technocracy. So as we look to the roots of technocracy, we go back to men like Henri Saint-Simon. He lived between 1760 and 1825. Now, Saint-Simon was recognized as the father of technocracy by the technocrats themselves. He could also be considered the philosophical father of the so-called emerging church that is becoming prominent throughout around the world today. Saint-Simon was born into an aristocratic family in France, fought in the American Revolution, and later turned to a life of writing and philosophical criticism. He developed many radical strains of thought that influenced people after him, including Karl Marx, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and Auguste Comte, among others. He proposed a Christian socialism where everyone would be part of the brotherhood of man and suggested that private property should give way to societal management by experts or technocrats. His new Christianity also called for churches to be administered by experts who would direct their parishioners into social programs designed to reform the world and alleviate poverty. Now, a little bit more about uh, Saint-Simon. We'll, we'll get into a little bit more about him later. But first of all, uh, Auguste Comte, who was just mentioned. He lived between 1798 and 1857. Auguste Comte was Saint-Simon's most famous student and was the founder of Positivism, which was popular in the second half of the 1800s. And uh, with my experience in Brazil, I also know that Positivism had uh, a lot of influence in the founding of the nation of Brazil, uh, including in their, uh, their founding policies, in their founding documents and constitution. So as the first philosopher of science, Comte is also credited as being the father of modern sociology. Like Saint-Simon, Comte also placed a large focus on religion by creating the quote-unquote religion of humanity, which some call Catholicism plus science, and others called Catholicism without Christ. Comte also followed Saint-Simon's concept of evolutionary history by formulating three stages of societal development, theological, metaphysical, and positive with the later meaning that the laws of science that control the world are fully known and understood. So that's uh, Auguste Comte and Henri Saint-Simon. The third man who is important in the development of technocracy was an economist and sociologist named Thorsten Veblen, 1857 to 1929. He was born in the United States, and he followed Saint-Simon's and Comte's theory of evolutionary history, combining Dar Darwinian evolution with his own institutional economics. As a prominent figure in the progressive movement, he was fiercely critical of capitalism while he championed a leadership of a Soviet of engineers, so an expert class uh, that, would, that would lead society. 
1919, he helped found the New School for Social Research, today called the New School, that became a seedbed of radical thought. The New School is where Veblen met Howard Scott, the soon-to-be leader of the technocracy movement in the U.S. In the early 1920s, Veblen, Howard Scott, and M. King Hubbard were all members of the Technical Alliance, which was a precursor to the technocracy movement. Early technocrats universally credit Veblen as a leader of their early efforts to define and organize a technocratic movement. Ironically, Veblen died three months before the stock market crash in 1929, which proved to be the catalyst for widespread public interest in technocracy. And so that brings us from the foundation to the actual movement, the technocracy movement, which, as it says, as Patrick Woods says, uh, began to really rise into prominence in the 1930s after the stock market crash and the disasters in the, the world economy that happened at that time. Now, technocracy itself was a movement that, that garnered a large number of followers, but it never took off to the extent that its founders obviously had hoped as an organization in itself. The organization had, on the surface, too much in common with fascism, and as we'll see in this little bit about the history of technocracy and its acceptance. Wood writes that major portions of the technocracy platform quietly made their way into Roosevelt's New Deal. Uh, and as World War II progressed, the American public quickly forgot about Technocracy Inc. and Howard Scott. During World War II, from 1940 to 1943, Technocracy Inc. was even banned in Canada due to accusations of subversive activity and connection with fascism. As M. King Hubbard's career advanced with major oil companies, he found it in his own interest to formally dis disassociate himself with, from technocracy, although he never renounced its principles. William Knight followed his messiah, between quotation marks, until his death. The current offices of Technocracy, Inc. are located in the remote town of Ferndale, Washington State, where many remaining historical documents are stored. And it's interesting to note also that in the, the town of Aldergrove, B.C., that was also another center of technocracy early on in its history. However, technocracy never disappeared. Now, I have a collection of magazines uh, called the Technocracy Digest. And for those of you who are watching on Rumble, I'll just show you one of them. Uh, the Technocracy Digest right here. And this, this issue was published and sold for 10 cents, uh, issue number 49, published on, in October of 1938. And just to, to read a little bit of the editorial, just to give you a flavor for what technocracy at that time was all about. This magazine, by the way, was published out of Vancouver. The editorial says, Technocracy Inc. has set itself a stupendous task it is carrying out that task in the only way that is open to it, by strict adherence to the environmental facts. So this is, this is scientism. This is science, uh, the facts, working with the science, basing policy on science. 20 years ago, these facts were appreciated and analyzed by technocracy's founders. In conformity with them, a policy was laid down which has been followed ever since. In brief, those facts are, a continental area richly endowed with natural resources inhabited by a population which has shown itself fully capable of turning those resources into use forms by utilizing a greater proportion of extraneous energy than is used anywhere else in the world. 
This energy has been converted to human use by means of a huge array of technological equipment. The full load operation of this equipment would guarantee a high standard of living to every man, woman, and child in the area. Hand-in-hand with the development of this technological equipment has arrived its twin, unemployment, mass leisure. It is this unpaid leisure which is breaking down the price system. The application of science to the functions of production and distribution has brought us to a situation where it is becoming increasingly necessary to apply science to the control of that distribution. This is very important, and this is what we're seeing happening today, and we'll hear more about this. A form of control, the editorial continues, that can guarantee full consuming privileges to all the inhabitants of this area is indicated. A form of control. In order that these consuming privileges may be permanent, production must be made to balance consumption and there must be the minimum waste of our irreplaceable natural resources. This form of control has been designed and blueprinted. It has yet to be installed and operated. This is technocracy's major task. So that editorial says a lot about technocracy. And you can, if you're, if you're comparing what the, the editorial written in the year 1938 has to say, you'll see that a lot of what they wrote about at that time has now been implemented. But Wood sa- as Wood says, uh, technocracy as a movement died out, pretty much died out, and, and was only remaining in, and only remains really in its original form in some very small places, out-of-the-way places. But at Columbia University, the radical tenets of technocracy continued in the halls of academia. Columbia has always prided itself for academic interaction among professors, departments, and disciplines, and interact they did. Some 40 years later, in 1973, technocracy was destined to re-emerge at Columbia under a new name, a new sponsorship, and an expanded strategy to dominate the world rather than just the North American continent, which was the goal of the original technocrats, a techne, a united society made up of Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So what happened with this rebirth of technocracy? Well, whatever technocracy represented in the 1930s and earlier, Wood writes, it was cleverly regurgitated in Zbigniew Brzezinski's book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. That's an important book and a book that you can find online. And I might be doing an episode in the future about that book as well. This book was never a bestseller on any literary list. But it was an important book nonetheless. It was a book that caught the eye and admiration of David Rockefeller. The Rockefeller dynasty, and David in particular, had always had a difficult time maintaining good public relations with the American public. Collectively, the Rockefellers represented the global-minded Eastern establishment that was bent on selling American sovereignty to international interests. Simply put, Rockefeller needed a young-blood academic like Brzezinski in order to justify his own globalist dreams. So it was through Zbigniew Brzezinski, by means of David Rockefeller, that technocracy came back to the forefront and came once again onto the world stage in an adapted form, but as technocracy nonetheless. So there were connections between Rockefeller and Brzezinski, 
uh, Brzezinski became the the young blood, the the young thinker uh, behind Rockefeller's uh, machinations on the world stage. And in his book, Between Two Ages, uh, Brzezinski expanded upon the original technocracy that was originally limited to the North American continent to one of a global nature, but with virtually identical ends. And so Brzezinski wrote, the technotronic era involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite whose claim to political power would rest on allegedly superior scientific know-how. Unhindered by the restraints of traditional liberal values, this elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends by using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. So here we see a number of things coming together that we've already spoken about in past episodes. We see uh, the attempts to influence public behavior, the control of society, uh, keeping society under close surveillance. Now, one of the very important planks in the, in the technocratic platform was the monitoring of all of the energy that was being used in the world how that energy was being used, where it was being used, what it was being used for, and replacing the system of currency with a system of energy credits. Each person would receive a certain amount of energy credits, and they could use those energy credits as they would see fit. Now, at the time of the original Technocracy Inc., the technology was not in place for them to be able to institute in any meaningful way this uh, surveillance, this monitoring of the use of energy and of people's activities. But now, in the 21st century, with the development of 5G, internet, and what's com- whatever's coming next, uh, the internet of things, where our, the electrical grid and, and all of our appliances are, are linked into the internet of things, where we have Alexa and Siri and the various uh, apparatus that we use in our homes, that we invite into our homes, which monitor us and can uh, keep track of what we're doing and answer our questions. The technology is now available and becoming more and more so to implement this complete and absolute surveillance and control and monitoring of human consumption and human energy use. So what was a dream for the technocrats of the early 20th century has now become a a very real possibility and in fact a reality in the 21st century. Brzezinski gave a succinct background that led up to his technotronic era. He wrote that mankind had moved through three great stages of evolution and was in the middle of the fourth and final stage. The the first stage he described as religious. So what was that religious stage? Well, that religious stage combined a heavenly universalism provided by the acceptance of the idea that man's destiny is essentially in God's hands. And then there's an earthly side, an earthly narrowness derived from massive ignorance, illiteracy, and a vision confined to the immediate environment. The second stage, following the religious stage, was nationalism, stressing Christian equality before the law, which marked another giant step in the progressive redefinition of man's nature and place in our world. The third stage, Brzezinski said, was Marxism, 
which represents a further vital and creative stage in the maturing of man's universal vision. The fourth and final stage was Brzezinski's technotronic era, or the ideal of rational humanism on a global scale, the result of American communist evolutionary transformations. All right, so there's some very profound and very important stuff here, especially when you think that Zbigniew Brzezinski wasn't some small player on the world scene. He was in the halls of power in the United States for decades. He was closely aligned with various presidents, not just on the Republican side, but also on the Democrat side. And he was in the halls of power having that influence in among and among the elites of American and, in fact, international world society, bringing, uh, bringing about more and more the technotronic era as the fourth era replacing the Marxist era. And that brings to mind something that we've been hearing a lot about recently, which is the fourth industrial revolution which our friend Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum has been talking about, uh, which deals with and which works with many of the same uh, foundation, foundational uh, theories, foundational ideas to bring about a new world order, which is a replacement for all of these previous uh, stages in the development of society. And which, just to remind you of how Wood started in uh, in his introduction, which stands in opposition to the Christian faith and which sees the Christian faith as a very serious rival. So I'm going to stop here for now with this, these introductory uh, statements and a little introduction to technocracy, the history of technocracy, the, the presence of technocracy in so many places, in so many areas and how we can recognize technocracy with their slogans and catchwords, catchphrases, uh, and what technocracy uh, means to the world and the threat that it poses, very real threat to society in general and to the Christian faith in particular. So in conclusion, I just want to repeat my recommendation for the work of Patrick Wood and his website, technocracy.info. He also has a channel on YouTube and the book, Technocracy Rising, The Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. Highly recommended. If you want to know more about this very, very important subject, I recommend that you check that book out and check out his website. So until next time, I wish you the Lord's blessings. If you have found this helpful, if you found this useful, please do pass it on uh, the channel on Anchor or Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're finding your podcast and listening to it. And here on Rumble, please do pass it on. Uh, when people have shared the uh, links to the channel in the past, the number of views has risen and more people have been able to access this material. And I also urge you to do your own research, time permitting and uh, uh, resources permitting to do your own research on these subjects as well, because these are the ideologies that are shaping our society. When we think of the ideologies that we are confronting, you hear a lot about fascism 
as being the enemy. You have Antifa in the United States and around the world fighting supposedly against this mythical fascism. Uh, We have communism. We have people on the right of the political spectrum seeing a communist behind every bush and and believing that communists are and communism is the ultimate enemy. When in fact, fascism and communism are not the main uh, combatant in this battle. They're, they're not our main enemy. It's actually technocracy and the technocrats who stand behind it on the world stage that we need to be the most concerned about. So we'll continue this discussion in future episodes. Uh, my prayer, as always, is that this information and putting this information to work will help us as God's people to stand firm and take action.